Welcome. I'm glad y'all are here. I'm, uh, I never know what to expect on a day like today, big game day and stuff, and I um, never know if it's going to mean a lot of people are out or people are going to be distracted or what. I got up just so excited. I couldn't wait. I mean, I love, love me some baseball. I cannot even wait. But we're going to try and focus. I mean, we're just going to try and really regroup here and see if we can focus on the Word of God in the next few minutes and uh, be equipped as we spend time together. Let's pray. God, thank you for a Sunday morning. Thank you for a place to gather. Thank you for comfortable chairs and an air-conditioned room, um, for a speaker system that helps us communicate and listen. More than anything, Lord, thank you for the Word of God that's sitting in our hands, our laps, um, or under the chair in front of us. Thank thank you that you've given us uh, something to grab onto, a way to connect to you. Uh, Lord, we uh, pray that you will speak through the Word of God in these next few minutes as we expose it and unpack it, Uh, Lord, that it'll connect to our lives, uh, to the daily uh, routines, to the... um, the spaces that haven't been invaded by you and your gospel. And um, just pray that you'll use this time, Lord. Also, we want to pray for another church in our community. I want to pray for Fellowship Bible Church, for Travis and Kayla Chappell. Lord, I'm thankful for the opportunity to get to know Travis some and get to know uh, what he and his uh, family are about and what uh, Fellowship Bible Church are about. And Lord, we just want to lift them up this morning. I ask you, first of all, to bless Travis in his walk with you, that it is a, um, a vibrant, healthy, um, close walk, that he is enjoying you as he's about his work, Lord, that, it is, um, that his walk with you and worship is fueling, first of all, his marriage. Lord, I pray that uh, he and Kayla are blessed, enjoying you, that he is putting the gospel on display in how he treats his wife loving her as Christ loved the church, and that she is putting the gospel on display in the way that she enjoys him and follows him, and um, just uh, illustrating the uh, wonderful journey that we have with the, as the church walking with our Savior. Lord, we pray for his family as, as, uh, uh, as their parents and new parents, and Lord, just pray that you would give him wisdom in navigating that journey. Lord, we pray too for the church there at Fellowship Bible Church. We are thankful for Uh, The many years that you have um, equipped the saints at Fellowship Bible Church, Lord, we pray that you would continue to do so. Uh, Lord, give them great problems like parking problems and seating uh, problems and education space problems and uh, grow them for your glory, Lord. Thankful for the chance to lift them up this morning. Praying these things in Christ's name. Amen. Turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. I have a page number for you, page 779, that will work excuse me, 979, that will work in your Bible that's under the seat bottom in front of you. If you don't have your own Bible, you're welcome to that Bible. Please take that and uh, write your name in the front and make it your own. I'm a little suspicious of folks who are always talking about spiritual warfare. Um, I acknowledge that there is such a thing, but I've always just struggled a little bit with folks who are always using that kind of language and, and talking about things like strongholds and spiritual strongholds, and that must be what this is. And there are times where I just want to say, nah, man, I think you're just really being a big old dummy. 
Sometimes I think that it's that simple, that we're just being boneheads. Now, I acknowledge, as I said, that there are such things as spiritual warfare. There's a very real issue of spiritual warfare, but I struggle with those who are given to the sensational. Now, here's the cool thing. God's word brings balance to all of us. If I've underdeveloped it because I'm shying away from the sensational, or if someone else overdevelops it, like all they can talk about is spiritual warfare, when God talks about it through his word, gives us balance. Okay? And here we are today in Ephesians chapter 6, dealing with this very thing that I often shy away from, spiritual warfare. I want to, in these next few minutes, I want to sort of guide us into this closing section of the book that we began. Um, I wasn't sure. My computer is at Apple right now, and I wasn't able to even check it. Uh, I don't have it for a few days. But from what I could glean online, I believe we started this in the summer of 2015, the book of Ephesians. So here we are a couple years later, almost three years later, uh, getting to the closing section here, the last little conversation in the book of Ephesians. So I want to sort of guide us into that, but first I want to give a little bit of a bird's eye view of where it fits in the story of Ephesians. Okay? The first 3 chapters of Ephesians are full of what would we would call indicatives. Okay? They're full of these things, these truths, these things that are awesome and true that God has done for us in Christ. The first 3 chapters of the book. Okay? In some ways, the first 3 chapters are all about God's verbs. And then the next three chapters, chapters four through six, are about our responding verbs. They're the imperatives, the commands that we've been given of ways to respond to these wonderful indicatives of the first three chapters. The first three chapters are God's verbs. The next three chapters are our verbs. In chapter four, here's a few of our verbs. Chapter four, uh, chapter four, verse one, we were... Charge or the Ephesian church was charged, and we're charged through God's word to walk in unity. Chapter 4, verse 17, we're charged to walk in holiness. Chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, we're charged with walking in love. And chapter 5, verse 15, where we've been these last few weeks, we're charged with walking in wisdom. And that word is used throughout walk, walk, walk. But here in our closing section, we're given a new verb. And that new verb, instead of walking now, is stand. The word stand and that charge, that verb stand, is the central imperative of this this last section that goes as verses 10 through 20. This morning, we're just going to be looking at verses 10 through 12, and I'll uh, read those and share those with you. We're going to kind of the plan for the morning in a moment. But first, I want to just give you a little glimpse into what this actually is. This section actually has a name. It's called a pararatio. Okay, it's a Roman word, uh, Italian. It sounds Italian. It is Italian. Pararatio. It's the closing of a book or an argument. The Greeks had a version of it that's called the epilogos or the epilogue. Okay, the closing section of a book, the closing section of an argument, but it's also a word that's used for a battle speech. Pararatio. Before he sends his soldiers and troops off into battle. If you ever saw the movie Gladiator, there's one of these pararatios, a stoic pararatio that takes place in the woods where the general gives this speech to sort of his um, special ops team that are in the woods. You know, he's got the battle or he's got these soldiers that are all out there with their archers and all these big 
pieces of machinery. Then he goes into the woods and his big wolf-looking dog runs with him. And he goes and gives a speech. And it's something along the lines. I just captured a few pieces of it just so we could enjoy it. He tells them, hold the line. Stay with me. Should you find yourself alone riding in green fields with the sun on your face, do not be troubled, for you are in Elysium and you're already dead. And they all laugh together like a bunch of crazy, brave soldiers. Ha, 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 let's go die. That's a stoic battle speech. That's a paratio, which is exactly what we're doing this morning. One of my favorites is from the St. Crispin's Day speech from Henry V, Shakespeare's Henry V. I wish this was an actual speech that took place because it is stirring. Some of the language from this speech has actually become part of the lingo in Marine circles where Marines are using these sort of terms with one another to sort of motivate each other to do hard things. Here's just an excerpt. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. And gentlemen in England now abed, that's a fancy way of saying all the guys that are back home still in bed, shall think themselves accursed they were not here and hold their manhoods cheap whilst any speaks that fought with us upon St. Crispin's Day. Stirring stuff right there. This paratio concept um, is awesome. I think probably my favorite um, version of the paratio uh, came from my high school football coach, Coach Stoker. I mean, I can visualize these speak- speeches that took place before every game. He's wearing these Russell coaching shorts, or champion, I don't know, Russell or champion. I think they both made them, had this real wide waistband. And I remember thinking as a young man, I want whatever job I can have as long as I get to wear pants like that. <laughs> get a nice tan on my legs. Coach Stoker giving this speech, this stirring speech, followed the guidelines of a paratio. For in a paratio, there are three things that are central. He reminds them of who they should hate, as in the enemy. That's called the indignatio. And then he reminds them of true things that they can hold on to as they fight. That's the enumeratio, enumerating the things that they can hold on to as they face harm's way. And the third thing, he calls them to valor. So Coach Stoker had a version of these for us. Uh, Nearly every speech would start out with something to the effect of, these guys are pansies. They're nothing but a bunch of spam eaters and bus farters. You can take them down. That's the indignatio. Okay, these guys are losers. Y'all are trained. You're practiced. You worked hard. You're ready for this game. Our playbook is sound. That's the enumeratio, where he enumerates the things that are true that we can hold on to. And then he called us to valor. Big hits, big tackles, big blocks. Be brave and go kill them. Ah, ready, break. Paratio. Now, here in Ephesians, Paul reminds them of who they should hate. It's not flesh and blood, but it's spiritual forces. He enumerates what they can hold on to as they face the battle in their identity with Christ. That by faith, they are united to Christ, so his armor becomes theirs. And then he calls them to valor, commanding them to be strengthened, to be prepared, to be alert, and to... Stand. Let's look at our passage. 
Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. My plan for these next few minutes... It's helpful for me as a listener often to know kind of where we're going. So here's a plan in case case you're making a little outline. We're going to first consider what they're being called to do. And I'm going to apply the language and what they're being called to do is something that we're being called to do. Okay, it's 2,000 years later. There's nothing new under the sun. What they're being called to is exactly what we're being called to in our context. That's verse 10, what they're called to. In verse 11, the first part is how they're to do it. And then the second part of verse 11 is why they're to do it. And then verse 12 is in explanation. Okay, so there's really three parts. What they're being called to in verse 10. How they're to go about it in verse 11a, 11a, the first part of 11. And then why it's important, verses 11b and 12. First, what are they being called to do to be strong in the Lord? I'm in these next few minutes really just going to unpack these passages. So if you kind of lose your place, you can go right back to where we are and know where we're picking up. Be strong. This is the first imperative in this passage. An imperative, if you've been with us for any period of time, you know that an imperative is like a command. God, through Paul, is commanding them to be strong. But it's an interesting imperative. It's actually a passive imperative. It's not translated that way in our version right here in the English Standard Version. But what it should read as a passive imperative is be strengthened in the Lord. Be strengthened means someone else is actually doing the strengthening, but we're lining up and getting in some space in here where we can find strength. It implies that it's something that we don't have on our own, which we can see, obviously, in this next little phrase, in the Lord. Be strengthened in the Lord. In the Lord, anytime you see that in the book of Ephesians, that's speaking of Christ, specifically and surgically. Be strengthened in Christ is the charge here. And then he goes on to say, be strengthened in Christ and in the strength of his might. Now, this is not a difficult section. It's just words that are very common that we know what strength and might mean. And they're sort of used interchangeably. That's not what's going on here in the original language. These are different words that mean different things. So I'm going to take just a moment to show you What's going on here? First of all, this second use of strength, the first is be strengthened or be strong. The second word strength there is actually a word that has to do with supernatural power. It has to do with supernatural power, which you're going to need to protect yourself against supernatural forces. Okay, That's a good thing. You want to see that word there. And then that last word, the word might, is the source of of supernatural power. His might is the source of supernatural power. Just a little visual to kind of help you see how these two words relate. It's like a mountain full of gold. His might is the deep and strong resource from which supernatural strength is mined in heaps and truckloads. So this charge here, be strengthened in the Lord and the strength of his might. Man, it's hard for us to really get our hands around that. I want to take you to just a couple other passages today. And this is the first of those two passages. I'd like for you to turn to 
Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. It's on page 575 of the Bible that's under your seat there, the Pew Bible. Isaiah chapter 11. I'm going to take about 30 seconds and give you the context of Isaiah, which seems an impossibility. What a complex book, okay? Here's the gist of what's going down in Isaiah. This is some 700 years or so before Christ, okay? Israel is going into exile into Assyria. Judah is on their way into exile into Babylon, and all of that as a result of their faithlessness, Okay, Israel and Judah, the people of God, have proven themselves faithless. Now, couple that with the nations have proven themselves wicked. Now, God's using them to his own ends for judgment on his people, but they have proven themselves wicked. So that's the context for this passage I'm about to read here, and it's also the context for Ephesians chapter 6 language. It's the reason I'm going over here to Isaiah chapter 11. There are a couple of passages over here in Isaiah that seem to sort of develop these articles of armor that Paul's going to deal with in this passage as we continue in these next couple of weeks. It's the go-to reference for what Paul is thinking about as he's charging the church in Ephesus to be strong, to stand, and to put on the full armor. So let's just dive in here, looking at, first of all, verse 4 and 5, verses 4 and 5. You're going to see some armor sort of mentioned here, and then we're going to pan out and try and make sense of the point. With righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. You're seeing some articles of clothing that the soldier wears right there, and this is presenting God as warrior. Isaiah 59 is another passage that develops a lot of the articles of armor and clothing. But I want to pan out in this passage and see how it connects to in the Lord, what this has to do with Christ. Look a few verses back at verse 1 of chapter 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And decide with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. See, here's the point in Isaiah. Here's what we're considering here, just just for a moment. The answer to the faithlessness of Israel and Judah is this shoot that comes from the stump of Jesse, this mighty shoot that comes from the stump of Jesse, and he comes wearing armor. The answer to the injustice of the nations is this mighty shoot from the stump of Jesse, for he is a sword-bearing, belt-wearing, faithful and righteous warrior that will leave the world so completely transformed that, verse 6, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Man, that's a world like I don't know. 
The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. I've never seen that world before. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This warrior's work is so profound, it will change the world as we know it. Things will be going down that we can't even imagine. This environment of peace, the sword-bearing, belt-wearing, faithful, righteous warrior leaves the world changed forever. This passage is speaking about Christ. And that's who and that's what we're being called to in Ephesians chapter 6 to draw on strength, to find strength in that warrior. Be strengthened in the Lord and the strength of his might. And just to give you a little bit of contrast, the contrast with the pagans, the pagans also valued strength. I mentioned Gladiator just a moment ago and mentioned that little peroratio that took place in the beginning of the movie. You, remember, you might remember if you've seen that movie what they're saying to one another all along. Strength and honor. Strength and honor. They're calling each other to the very same things that we're being called to right here. But here's the Stoics peroratio, which actually, Gladiator's speech there was a Stoic speech. And here's a Stoics peroratio. Be strong. Use your reason. Use your intellect you will prevail. At the beginning of that speech that I just shared with you, there were also the added words. Imagine where you'll be in three weeks. And then if you work hard enough, it will be so. That's the Stoics message. Trust in yourself. But the Christian's message is altogether different. Find strength in the Lord. Man, I like the idea of the Stoics message to trust in your reason, trust in your intellect, and then you'll prevail until you don't. Until you face something that's bigger than your reason and bigger than your intellect and you can't figure it out. I like the idea of the gladiator speech. Imagine where you'll be three weeks from now and then until you're not. So you find yourself in a completely different place thinking, how in the world did I get here? The Christian is called to be strengthened in something or specifically someone outside of you. And that's a relief for me because I'm getting to know myself better. Is anybody else encouraged with some relief in knowing that you're being called to find strength in someone and something outside of you? Anybody else know themselves well enough? To know we need a separate resource and that someone outside of you is Christ the Lord. Be strengthened in the Lord. That's what we're being called to do. Now, how are we called to do this? Look in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. We're back in Ephesians chapter 5, or excuse me, chapter 6. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The charge here, the command, this is the next imperative, is to put 
on. It's a conscious effort to be clothed in something. It involves intentionality to actually put something on. and implies that you don't actually have it on unless you put it on. I don't like to fly. It's not my favorite thing. I don't like turbulence. I, I mean, I know it's not a big deal, but I just don't like it. Okay? But one thing I do like about flying is the people watching. It is people watching extraordinaire. And when you're waiting for your flight, one of the things that never ceases to amaze me is what people will decide to wear on a flight. I'm thinking, like, do you have anybody going to meet you on the other end that you, like, no? <laughs> yeah, man, I think I'm going to wear this wife beater T-shirt and these sweatpants and these Crocs on this flight across the world. Man, it's crazy what some people will decide to put on, but putting stuff on implies that you're deciding to do it. There's intentionality implied here in putting this on. And the charge here is to put on the whole armor, not some of the parts of the armor, but the whole armor. Not all of the elements of the ancient soldier's armor are listed here in Ephesians chapter 6, but of the ones that are, all need to be donned. All need to be worn. We're going to spend the next couple of weeks getting acquainted with our battle dress kit. Okay? We're going to spend next week considering the first three items and the week after that, the three items after that. There are six total. And then the charge here is put on the whole armor of God. Like the strength that belongs to the Lord... The armor, too, belongs to God. One of the things that I've enjoyed in Ephesians as we've moved through the book is the use of plurals and singulars. I've enjoyed the use of plurals and singulars in the book of Ephesians where uh, Paul, through the letter, has helped the Ephesian church. And I think God has helped us see wonderful truths like he made us alive together with Christ. He raised us with him. He seated us in heavenly places. I love those plurals. I love to just envision the beauty of the church coming together and being raised and being seated. Chapter 2, verse 22 of Ephesians says, You plural, you people are being built together into a dwelling place singular for God. I love to see these plurals come together in these singulars and this view of the church moving together as one. Now, something that's interesting about this last section is we're not talking about corporate stuff now. We're talking about individual armor for individual soldiers. Man, I, I love to make much of when the church together corporately is developed, but I also want to do due diligence in making much of those occasions where he's speaking to the individual. And here he's speaking to the individual. And what's implied here is that the armor is suited to every single person. It's somehow tailored for you. Man, I don't see that coming at the cost of the church. I see it very specific and surgical and tender and thoughtful for him to make armor and allow his armor to be used by the child, by the child that's scared to death to go to school. Any little kids in here? You're like, man, school scares me. Man, I've got some good news for you, young man, young woman. His armor is made to fit you. Unlike the ill-fitting armor of Saul as he offered it to David, God's armor fits us 
individually, like the aged person. Watching my parents get old and hearing my dad say some things like, I have no purpose anymore, no meaning. Nobody needs me anymore. And it encouraged me to know that God made armor to fit my dad. It's suited and tailored to an old man that's trying to find his purpose. It's tailored to the wife and mom that's scurrying around like Martha, trying to keep everybody happy. His armor fits you surgically. It's tailored to the husband and the father who still feels like a little boy when you face these insurmountable situations. Anybody else? I'm 50, and sometimes I still feel that way, looking in the mirror going, what I do now, Dad? His armor's for me. His armor's for you. What a wonderful treatment of this armor that it fits so specifically, so personally. Brothers and sisters, children and seniors and youth and wives and husbands, believers, by our union with Christ, we have access to the divine armory. Like marriage means that you have access to one another's stuff. Marriage to Christ, union with Christ, means that what is his is now ours. And we have his armor, we have God's armor, and we have Christ's strength because of our union with him by faith. That's some really good news for anybody else that needs it. Now, the why. Why? In verse 11, the second part of verse 11 develops the why. 11 says, put on the whole armor of God, and here's the, here's the why of this whole thing, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Why do you need to be strengthened in the Lord and put on his armor? Well, in order to stand against the schemes of the devil. The word, the Greek word for schemes there is the word methodia. It's where you get the word methods. So apparently Satan has a methodology to his attacks and his efforts. They're intentional. They're systematic. They're planned. They're premeditated. See, here's the crazy thing. You remember the verbs that I just introduced to you at the very beginning or reminded you of to walk in love, walk in holiness, walk in unity, walk in wisdom. The realization as they're being charged here to stand is there's an agent that's doing everything he can to foil your efforts as you endeavor to walk those things out. Like his whole job, that's his job. I don't think he sleeps either. He doesn't need rest. That's his whole mission and purpose in life is to foil your efforts. And we would be unwise to underestimate him. The second place I'd have you turn this morning is Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. You've probably read this before. We're going to sort of read it anew. I'm looking for something here, and I'm not sure if I'm going to find it. Genesis chapter 3. Familiar passage. I don't don't have a page number for you. It's toward the front. Beginning in verse 1. Watch what goes down here. Now the serpent was more crafty. There's a word. Okay, his schemes, his methods. 
He's crafty and wily. He's more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Here's what is just baffling to me. Just consider this. He fooled one of the first two human beings, maybe hours, if not hours, days after they were created. Okay? And I'm looking in here and I'm trying to figure out what's going on here. I don't see any mention of the internet. He didn't even need the internet. You mean Adam and Eve weren't weren't getting pinged with spam email that would take them to all manner of wicked and vile stuff? (laughs) There's no mention of the internet in there. It's crazy. He didn't use culture. There wasn't really even a culture yet. He didn't use public opinion or what people thought of you or what what you ought to be doing because there was no public. It's just the two of them. He didn't use subliminal suggestion. Like we're at the movie and they flash that little thing up of Coca-Cola and you're like, man, I sure am thirsty. I think I'm going to go get a Coke. You ever seen that? Like one little slide that's so fast you can't even see it. There's no subliminal suggestion there. There's no backwards masking. Right. Y'all know what backwards masking is? Man, when I was a kid, that was a big deal. Another one bites the dust. If you play it backwards, it says start to smoke marijuana. You're listening to another one bites the dust. You're like, man, I really want to go smoke some marijuana. He didn't need any of that stuff. It's crazy. He didn't use jealousy. Who is there to be jealous of? He didn't use gossip. There's no one to even gossip. He didn't use the love of money because there's no currency even. It's crazy. He didn't ply anyone with liquor. drugs it's crazy this guy has our number he used a piece of fruit and twisted a conversation that they had had directly with God maybe the first and only conversation they had face to face you think he can't figure you out what's crazy is that humankind was only hours old he's a new student He's had thousands of years of practice to learn about us. Man, if you don't think he has your number and that you're likely being fooled about something right now, then I would offer it's just a matter of time before you find yourself naked and exposed looking for a fig leaf. He's crafty. He's wily. And there's a methodology to his efforts. I think about the way he fights, too. You know, he doesn't fight like in the Revolutionary War or Civil War fights. 
You ever been to Gettysburg or some battlefield? And you see, or you see a movie that's all about that, and where like these guys are, they're all marching, column of file, you know, they're everybody's standing in line, they're all marching together, and everybody's in frontal assault, and whoever has the most bullets and the most bullet catchers, I guess the most bullet, yeah, and the most bullet catchers wins. You imagine being that guy? Oh man, you gotta be on the front today. All right, I'm dead. There's no maneuvering, there's no plan, there's no hiding, seeking, hiding behind leaves and rocks. We're just stepping right out there catching bullets. That's not the way he fights. It's not a frontal assault. You want to know how he fights? It's more like they fought in Vietnam with tunnels and booby traps and all kind of snares and pits. His schemes are tricky, and they are like ambushes appearing unthreatening and harmless. That's the way he moves. We've had these few years to figure out his ways Just a few. He's had thousands of years to figure out ours. If you don't think you can be fooled by Satan, here's news for you. You already are. I don't want to make too much of him, but I don't want to make too little of him. He's got our number. Verse 12 provides an explanation. Briefly. Let me show you this explanation. It's going to be so encouraging. (laughs) Uh, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. For we wrestle, present tense. Okay, it's wrestling, present tense, 2,000 years ago. It's wrestling, present tense now. I wish it said something like, we fire intercontinental ballistic missiles. Because that's pretty... Uh, sanitary, isn't it? It's just you and that key. Put that key in there. Other guy got his key, plugs his key in, hit the button. Okay. War. Man, I wish it said, fire your intercontinental ballistic missiles. I wish it said something like, we shoot artillery at him and his forces. That'd be nice. I mean, it's a little dirtier. You're a little closer than intercontinental ballistic missiles, but you're still not right there in the fray. You know, you're firing these howitzers and stuff like that. And, or maybe mortars. Maybe mortars would still give us a little bit of distance. Uh, close air support. Uh, whiskey tango. This is quick draw. Yeah, come in hot. Fire for effect. The enemy's over here. Awesome. I'm still a little dirty because I can see the enemy. A little bit of danger. But I got an F-18 that's kind of doing, doing my business. Doing my bidding. Man, I wish that what it said. I wish it at least said, man, we got a sniper rifle. We're sniping. He and his minions and his rulers and authorities. Man, they make some amazing sniper rifles now. These 50 cal rifles, you can shoot somebody like 2,000 yards away. That'd be awesome. But it says wrestle. It says wrestle, like hand-to-hand combat. And then it says, much to to my chagrin, against rulers, plural. Not just one. Rulers, plural. Authorities, plural. Plural. Potentates, cosmic potentates, cosmic powers, plural. Okay, we're outnumbered. And we're not talking about nincompoops here because they're referred to as rulers and authorities and potentates. And again, also, by, by the way, they too have had thousands of years to figure out your number. Thousands of years of practice. Okay, so here's the summary. Let me get this straight, Paul. Okay, this is your pregame speech, okay? And here's your pregame speech, Paul. We're wrestling in hand-to-hand combat with ancient forces, plural, 
with thousands of years of practice that are, oh, by the way, invisible. <laughs> so encouraging. Man, I, whoo, let's get out there and fight. Paul, that's a pretty terrible pregame speech. I mean, really think about what, it's going, what he said here. It's a spiritual battle against a sort of like spiritual mafia. And not only are Satan involved with his wily ways, but he has a whole host of bad guys deployed to do his bidding. Man, this present darkness is a nice way to put it. That's the title of this sermon. This present darkness. It sounds like pretty hopeless odds, doesn't it? I mean, let's just be real honest. Outnumbered by guys who've been doing it forever, who are, by the way, invisible, <laughs> doing hand-to-hand combat. Sounds like we're toast. But here's the crazy cool thing. The tone of this passage, the tone of this passage as Paul is presenting it, he's just listing these insurmountable odds, but he's listing them as matter of fact. He's not listing them fearfully. He's listing them confidently because he's confident not in his own strength or his own schemes or his own efforts, but he's confident in the Lord's strength and God's armor, believing they are enough. <laughs> Man, I love it. It sounds like we few, we happy few. I love it. It's a great speech after all. Because it's pointing us to things that we can truly trust will give us strength. Man, either we're delusional or we're part of the greatest power this world has ever known, the strength and might of our Lord. Now, I really only have one point this morning, and this is it. It's a thought, more a thought and a question. I think the only thing worse than being in harm's way is to be in harm's way and not know it. The only thing worse than being in harm's way is to be in harm's way and not know it. Paul had a clear view to these invisible forces. And there's the sense in the way it's communicated to them with not a lot of supporting evidence that they too had an awareness of dark spiritual forces that push back. Here's my question to you. Are you aware? Can we be aware without being sensational? I think we need to be. I think we need to be. I like to go to movies um, with Christy. I love me some chick flicks. I mean, I really, really love me some chick flicks. <laughs> uh, not so much, but I'll go. I'll go. If Christy wants to go, man, we're there. We're going to go see a chick flick. I can't remember the last time this happened, but we should do that <laughs> sometime. But I want you to imagine you're in a theater and you're watching your favorite chick flick. And you know how this goes down. You're in a movie where it's kind of quiet, you know, like this real tender scene, you know. And then next door you hear like war, like in the theater next door. Bruce Willis is blowing something up. He's in all these movies, man, all shooting stuff, blowing stuff up. He's been hit by a car. He's been thrown off a building, fall out of a plane. All kind of crazy action going on next door. My hope this morning, okay, was that as we're living our little movie over here, that we would realize that there's another thing going on around us. And it's not next door in that theater, but it's actually around us and actually in our theater. 
like this war and this combat that we can't see and we need to be aware of it. We can't just sit there eating our popcorn and drinking our Coke that subliminally, subliminally were suggested to us that we had to go get. We've got to be vigilant. We've got to be aware. We've got to walk in love, walk in holiness, walk in unity, walk in wisdom, knowing all the while he's going to do everything he can to foil that actively, offensively. And while we wear the armor tailored to suit each of us, we do need each other to help us put it on. I had a pro ratio 25 years ago in the well deck of an LPD-10, a Navy ship. Looking at 101 Marines. I guess it was 100. I was one of the 101. So I'm looking at 100 Marines, talking to them, reminding them of their training, reminding them of the enemy, calling them to valor and strength. And as part of that operation, as part of that moment, what actually went down after that speech, it wasn't quite as uh, awesome as these speeches. It wasn't even good as Coach Stoker's. It was pretty lame. But what went down right after that is a battle gear check where every Marine turned to the Marine next to him and said, hey, check my equipment, check my gear. Okay, all right, your weapon's safe. You got a full magazine loaded. You got six full mags. You got grenades, you got your grenade vest, you got an M203. Okay, you got anything shiny that the enemy could see? You got anything loose and tingling, tinking, tinking that's going to make some noise that the enemy could hear? Here, let me cinch that up for you. Let me help you. Bam, hit you on the shoulder. You're ready. Checking your cami paint. You got the dark stuff on the high points and the light cami paint and the low points. Okay, looks good. We're ready. Strength and honor. And for us... We do the same, but we remind each other, strength and honor in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's his armor we wear. Let's pray. God, I pray that this morning has been a moment where we could sort of um, connect to this thing going on around us. Lord, I pray that this moment has been a moment where we could sort of uh, be galvanized and steeled to be vigilant, to be attentive, to even anticipate Satan's wiles and his movements. And Lord, too, this morning, there could be a moment where we celebrate that we have some fine armor and we have a mind full of strength and might, the strength that comes in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving us access to your armory. And thank you for giving us access to your son. We are so blessed. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's distribute the elements.